Welcome to the Pearls of Wisdom podcast, where we mix business, law of attraction, spirituality, and well-being with great guests and phenomenal stories. You'll hear hints, tips, and up-to-the-minute information on digital communication from an expert in her field. Pearl has some wonderful individuals in her networks, and she will be interviewing them all at some point in the future. Enjoy your listening. Hello and welcome to the Pearls of Wisdom podcast. Now today we have a very special guest. This is someone I've known for years. We've worked together in central government. I really, really rate what ITAM has to say. His knowledge, his expertise is top of his tree in so many different areas. You are going to love this interview because what he has to share Will be absolutely brilliant. So without further ado, I introduce you all to Aitan Hilton, who is the Director of Cubed Consultancy. Welcome, Aitan. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Bill. Thanks for the uh, kind and, and warm intro. Thank you. Well, it's, I've been looking forward to this. You know I've reached out a few times and your schedule has just been so busy. You bring so much information to everything you do. Anyone that follows you on LinkedIn and sees that sees the posts that you put in, there's humour, there's information, there's knowledge, and it's not just in the area that you specialise in. It it ranges across so many things. And to all the listeners, I say to you, get a pad and paper and take notes because you're going to get loads and loads of information. And as with all our guests, we will put ways that you can link with ITAN afterwards. It all goes into the description of the podcast. So make sure you reach out. Anyone that listens to this podcast will want to be reaching out, so make sure you're the head of the queue. So don't sit on it. Don't wait. Reach out as soon as you've got the contact details. So from that, I'm going to jump into our first question. Can you describe your career path to date, please? Yes. So so in a nutshell, um, I spent about five years or so uh, in the agency world. Um, I then spent a couple of years in RPO, so recruitment process outsourcing, um, and I spent the last eight years or so um, in-house client side um, as as an interim professional. So about fourteen or fifteen years, all in all, um, and hopefully what I you know what I hope the um, sort of career path has 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 done to date is. Um, a reasonably seamless transition from, you know, the, the supply world um, of, of agency um, into, you know, client side, in-house uh, value add to uh, internal teams and stakeholders. Um, and hopefully, you know, as I say, what that does is it, it offers um, clients and stakeholders and anyone I work with um, appreciation and empathy from all sides of the fence um, rather than just necessarily sort of one dimensional uh, for, for 14 or 15 years. And although you mentioned recruitment, it touches on everything else. It touches on engagement. It touches on um, employee value proposition and everything where so many people say, oh, yes, recruitment, unless you've actually been involved with it, you don't realise how many areas you touch on. You have to be a master of so many different roles to actually engage people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I, I would definitely say that the first half of my career was probably the, the more traditional coalface recruitment, you know, transactional delivery. Um, you know, I, I'll admit to that. But you're absolutely right. 
Um, you know, the, the interim roles that I've had, you know, although by title they they link, you know, directly to recruitment or talent acquisition, um, they will always cross over with um, other corporate functions, other enabling functions, um, somewhat directly and indirectly in terms of, you know, marketing, brand, perception, uh, values, uh, diversity and inclusion, um, all things that, as I say, directly and indirectly happen through uh, recruitment activities, uh, talent acquisition um, strategies, models, uh, short and long term. So yes, you, you definitely have to be thinking um, more broadly than just, you know, the right person for the right job, which is ultimately the goal. Um, but how you get there is is definitely much, much broader than, than some may imagine or, or appreciate. And this this is why I so wanted to have you as a guest on the podcast, because with COVID and people are seeing their roles change, some people might have lost their their current role and be looking to where their next role could be coming from. They might want to pivot on their key skills and do something completely different. This is, again, where the listener needs to know how will a recruiter approach this and also how do they need to change the way they market themselves to be in front of the right audience. De- definitely, and and I've I've seen this happening more and more with um, you know recruitment professionals that I've known for a number of years. Um, perhaps have either worked with, maybe managed them, or, or even you know they they've been um, recruiters supplying into the clients and projects that I've worked on. But you're absolutely right. The the ones that kind of. Uh, continue to offer not only the industry some value, but you know their own employers and their clients and their customers are definitely the ones that are remaining sort of tech savvy, um, remaining aware of what's going on in the world. Um, you know, we, we don't often like to bring sort of politics into what we do, but the realities of of what's going on in the world does have an influence on you know what companies are doing, um, how they want to be perceived. Um, and the, the talent that they want to bring into their organizations, you know, is, is more than just competent individuals or technically proficient individuals. It's, it's also about who they are, not so much personally, you know, that, that still remains, you know, somewhat private to what we do outside of work. But they definitely want to understand more about people's mindset, drivers and motivators, you know, a, a little bit more than perhaps they did a, a number of years ago. Yep, totally, totally agree with that. I'm going to move on to the next question. Now, can you name three things that made you choose your current career and why? Sure. Um, So, I mean, it is a cliche. Um, I think like many others, I I fell into recruitment um, back back in the day. Um, But in terms of what that's become and and perhaps three of the reasons that I do kind of what I do today, um, one is around um, the independence of of being an interim uh, and a business owner. Um, I think, you know, various um, tests and profiles that I've done over the years have all indicated that, you know, I'm a bit of a, not a lone wolf as such, but someone that definitely works best alone, um, rather than necessarily, you know, being told what to do within reason. Um, I like the variety and the frequency of learning new things. Um, Over the years, I've I've worked in probably nine or ten different sectors and industries, um, and, I, and I think definitely the nature of what I do um, by choice and by design allows for that. Um, and, and the breadth and variety is, is, is something that definitely stimulates me to, to learn more. Um, and finally, you know, be, being somewhat sector agnostic and not necessarily a vertical specialist, um, I've definitely kind of committed my career to becoming a subject matter expert. I think, as you may have mentioned earlier, 
Um, and, you know, again, what that does is it gives clients confidence that, you know, what they're engaging me to do uh, comes with, um, you know, five, six, seven projects that are completely different, very much alike um, in organizations, large and small. Um, but, but that's hopefully the value that I can bring to, to clients and projects um, rather than saying, you know, I am a construction specialist or I am a life sciences specialist and I know those markets inside out you know i've chosen to be a recruitment specialist um you know for the for the greater good of, of the companies i go into yeah and i totally totally agree with that i mean like i've said to the listeners you and i have worked together previously and your knowledge it is a whole process that you can literally unplug from one corporation and move it to the next because yes although they might have a slightly different process. The overall process that you deliver can be adapted and, and grown depending on what their foundations are that you're going in to work with and seeing where they want to go, where their six-month, 12-month plan is taking them. You can put yeah. them on that journey and actually move them on. I mean, I know the stuff that you've shared with Cube Consultancy. That process you have is a plug-and-play for a lot of maybe yeah. the smaller companies for the larger corporates you go in on the consultant level or on the director level and literally you can completely change their recruitment function so that it's actually working for what they want and getting the results that they need and i i for one can vouch for that because i've seen it happen time and time again when you're working with people yeah it's um and and again you know you you do you know after 14 or 15 years you you do you know realize three or four common threads of, of challenges that organizations face, you know, large and small. Um, you know, we, we talk about the scarcity of skills in the marketplace, um, you know, getting to top talent. How do you do it, you know, in, in an increasingly sort of engaging way um, that's also purposeful? Um, so, yes, you know, although organizations will have their nuances and their intricacies, you know, whether it's regulated, whether it's um, geographically um, remote locations, etc. But but the fundamental principles of, of what we're trying to do uh, from a you know better practices, best practice perspective, um, you, you know that that can be reasonably generic. And then you know once you go in and you kind of get under the, the skin of the, the projects and the, the clients and the stakeholders, that's when you know, you start to tweak and tailor it more for their individual needs rather than just a blanket, you know, eat, sleep, repeat kind of approach. Yep. And this is where your clients get such fantastic results because you can do that and actually understanding their key message once they use those processes that you've known, measured and tested. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Now, you might have touched on bits of this, can you let us know the key values that um, your business offers, um, yeah. please? Um, so I, I was thinking about this question um, before we spoke, and I think the, the, the tricky thing with values is that organisations often try to have you know individual or independent values that are going to be different to any other organisation. And and for me personally, um, you know, as, as someone hopefully that's been brought up with good foundations of values anyway um that the values of my business i guess um 
you know, that I, that I depend on, you know, um, I think I might have mentioned, um, you know, 90% plus of my work is referral and recommendation. So hopefully these three values are, are pertinent, therefore. Um, but integrity, trust and commitment are, are the three sort of key values for me. Um, one being, you know, the integrity of your work, especially as an interim who is with an organization for a relatively short period of time, um, has to have integrity both during and after the projects that you complete or, or are perhaps part of. Um, trust, I think, is, is paramount. Um, you know, business without trust is, is going to come unstuck pretty quickly. Um, and wholeheartedly, you know, my personal commitment to people I work with, uh, organizations I work with, you know, networks, friends, family. A again, you know, I'm, I'm quite a passionate person. Um, I think, you know, culturally as a, as a Mediterranean, that, that kind of fire in the belly exists. Um, but hopefully it comes out in the commitment of, of my work. And um, to, to, to that, you know, to that last point, I would also say that commitment can sometimes come through with the um, passion of what I'm saying, you know, needs to be done. Um, and because I truly believe it. So, yeah, they're, they're probably the three key values I, I adopt for my business. Um, again, once again, I can concur with that because having worked with you, I've seen the way you work and your values show through in everything you do. And like you say, like that trust thing, that's key. With the people you're working with and ultimately the people you want to engage with to bring in to maybe become potential employees of the companies you're working for and if they don't have the trust that's that's as big as the brand it's almost people buy into a brand but they buy in through the trust factor of what they believe that brand stands for and it's actually uh, yeah, understanding yeah. That, that message yeah you know I, I think you're right you know in terms of the marketplaces that that we work in um there are some huge you know very very established brands out there you know much much bigger consultancies with you know a whole raft of capabilities and resources and and that's what we're competing against um and i think you know as someone who has you know various associate partners and and relationships it's no coincidence that the majority of those partners are relatively small businesses or, or independents. Um, you know, their careers perhaps over 10, 15, 20 years may have seen them working in some of those big brands along the way. Um, but actually, you know, my personal belief is that clients can get as much, if not more value from um, an independent consultant or um, a relatively small business that, that genuinely specializes in what they're doing rather than necessarily these big shiny brands that, you know, have millions and maybe even hundreds of millions of pounds um, to play with. Um, you know, yes, they've got great partner programs, they've got great training, and, and I can't fault those. Um, but sometimes they become a little bit, um, well, vanilla in, in, in that, you know, where's the depth to what they're doing? You know, it's, it's kind of re-manufactured re over and over again. So I will consciously try and align myself with, you know, in, independents that are, you know, 15, 20 years into what they do. And, and that's genuinely the value that they add. Yeah. Um, I'd, I totally agree because I know from the journey that you and I have been on, I will go into large corporations and especially from the comms and marketing side. And nine times out of 10, those large corporations have outsourced their marketing yeah. to agencies, which all seems well and good. But 
they might speak to a director of an agency that wants to win the business, but that director doesn't work on the nitty gritty. They might have someone that's newly come in. Yes, they might understand the ideas behind it, but they don't fully understand what that corporation, what that company stands for. Whereas the likes of you and I and the independents and the small the smaller SMEs that you and I work with that will go in as an interim and deliver, we know that inside and out. We can actually connect with what that corporation message is. Sometimes the larger companies, the larger agencies, that message is lost. And you need someone like you and I to go in and actually bring that passion back because that's one thing I don't always see from the large agencies. I don't know that they can convey the passion that you and I or an employee can share where they're actually embedded within the company and what, what they live, breathe and feel every day. So that's where I completely agree with what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, uh, I wholeheartedly agree. Absolutely spot on. I'm going to now move on to this next question. Now, you will recognise it because this question I tend to use. If I work with CEOs and directors and I need a blog article, this is one of the questions I, I put in. But it's interesting to see what my guests give us an answer. Item, what keeps you awake at night? Yeah, so, um, I mean, th- th- this one was a relatively easy one to, to, to think about um, beforehand. I mean, quite simply, you know, b- business development is, is my Achilles heel. Um, I don't know if it keeps me awake at night. I, th- I think because I've, I've kind of made my peace with it over such a long period of time. Um, but it does, it does go back to my, you know, agency days as a, as a 360 recruiter. Um, I, I was never the, the biggest biller. Um, you know, pretty pretty average, um, you know, in, in a sales environment. Um, and the reason for that was I, I just struggled to do the business development piece. Um, and I think that's why I naturally progressed onto um, key account management. So my kind of um, second and third roles in recruitment were with, you know, the likes of TFL, Crossrail, Network Rail. Um, you know, these were sort of 10 to 15 million pounds a year accounts that were, warm accounts we had lots of contractors working in there but we still had to grow and develop those accounts um whereas you know the organic growth for me was easier to do than that kind of cold calling knocking on doors um and winning business you know from zero to 360 um so yeah that that has kind of followed me a little bit into my um interim you know career and and business um I, i i kind of I hate to admit to this, but I, I massively rely on my network to help me find work. Um, you know, those referrals and recommendations, um, you know, I, I can't, well, I, I know how much they're worth in terms of the business it's, it's got me, but, you know, they're 10 times more valuable, um, you know, because of the time and effort that I haven't had to go through to be demoralized that I'm not winning that work myself. So, um, you know, again, I think that goes back to the values of if you do a good job each time, um, not to say that every project is perfect, but it will help you in the future. So, for, for example, this week I, I had a call from a director that I've worked with twice before in the last five or six years, and, and potentially there's um, you know some work maybe early into 2021 that you know we're discussing again. So, yeah, it, it's um, it's something that you know I, I don't have to do a huge amount, thankfully, but that's that's what does keep me awake at night occasionally. Yeah. And I can completely agree. When you do, 
when you do the interim route, yes, it's great whilst you're in that contract, but the mere fact that it's called a contract, you know it's going to end at a certain yeah. time. And you always have that bit, you're always nurturing those relationships to move forward. Where could the next role come from? But like you, yes, I rely on my network. And I, stay, I like to think I stay in touch with most of them and sort of touch base and see what we're doing. But it is, it's actually moving forward and knowing that you've gained the respect of those people you work with that they want to work with you again. Some people I might not have spoken to for the last five years. And I found with COVID, when we've been in lockdown, they've been reaching out. I've got one person I worked with at National Grid, and that was in 2012. They are now taking part in the retreats I'm running and everything because we reconnected. And it was like we hadn't even been a day away from each other simply because we've stayed in touch. But that's the good networks. And yes, you know, we will, you and I will introduce each other to networks and people that we think will can benefit us. Doesn't always come back that same time. It might be six months, it could be 12 months, it could be two years in the future, but you know it's going to be repaid. I don't network and neither do you just because it's another number to add to the list. Yeah. You network with people because you can help each other. Might not be automatically and straight away, but you know it's going to be built on in the future and that's what true networking is unfortunately some networking especially with the social media channels we use it becomes almost like spam where people connect for the sake of the numbers and they lose contact with communicating and actually building a relationship with it so yes completely agree with everything you've said there. good Right, I'm going to move on to the next thing so that all the listeners can see how, if when they're reaching out to work with you, how you work best. Where and how do you work best, Ita? Yeah, so, um, I mean, the, the, the following answer will be a little bit of a contradiction, but I'll, I'll explain why. Um, and also, um, a, again, the last kind of six months, which, you know, very gratefully I was working full-time on a, on a project with a client that concluded recently, um, the whole COVID situation has made me realise, you know, how I do work best. Um, so a, a, good, a good question to, to ask. Um, I, th- I think, as I mentioned earlier in, in, in the conversation today, um, I, I work best alone. Um, however, I do work best alone amongst my stakeholders, peers and customers. And, and the kind of caveat to that contradiction is that through workshops, through engagement, dialogue and iteration is how I work best. Um, and you know the, the last six months has included a lot of those, but obviously it's included them exclusively online. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've never, I've never exclusively done a project remotely. Um, although I do work from home or remotely, or travel to client offices or travel abroad, um, at least all of those elements coming together. Um, form the opportunity to meet in person, to run a workshop for half a day, to engage with users in their working environments. Um, Doing that exclusively online did make me realise that, um, you know, working alone has its weaknesses because you then have to engage people in a completely different way, keep their attention, um, you know, get their engagement and buy-in in a different way that, you know, I've not done before. So that, that did make me realise you know, COVID or not, 
Um, moving forward, you know, if we are all digital natives and digital nomads that, you know, might work 70, 80% of the time virtually, um, but I do have to, you know, change my ways a little bit. Otherwise, you know, I'll fall behind. Um, so, you know, that was an opportunity to sort of embrace, you know, you might have four one-hour sessions on Zoom or video conference rather than a four-hour workshop, you know, physically with people around a table. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I would still like to work in as live an environment as possible. You know, I'm a bit old-fashioned in that sense. But at the same time, you have to be, I suppose, nimble and agile enough to, you know, get down with the kids and kind of do it how it's done today. So, um, yeah, big, big, big learning curve the last six months. Um, so, yeah, I, I will change my ways a little bit, I guess. I must admit, I mean, because, well, you know, I do digital comms. So when COVID came about, I thought, oh, everyone's going to want my services because I can help them. I'm still waiting. So this is a cry out (laughs) to actually say, yes, you can implement it. I can see, I know that when we've done the interim thing, sometimes, yes, you go in the office and you and I, I know, give 150% and more when we're with the client. When you work from home, I've always found I do more work because because of the fact that I'm at home, I feel as if I have to give even more to show that I am doing the work and still giving it giving that that amount of work to to the client. But COVID has really made me think about well-being, where you say about that how you work best. Yes, we connect with each other. And as we're doing this interview, we're doing it over Zoom. So you can see body language and stuff like that. But I do wonder how much care people are taking of their own personal well-being because that's something to think about as well. And that, that I think, is going to be a big question that people will ask as if this becomes the new norm. Definitely. And, you know, I've got a personal interest in in psychology and I I try to bring some of that to to my work. Um, But I was talking to a a psychologist earlier this week um, about all sorts, not not from a professional therapy session, but just, you know, having a chat. And that was one of the things we talked about, you know, although although we've all embraced the way we've needed to work for the last four, five, six months. And, you know, the the genuine reality of if that was how it's going to be forevermore. Um, that that's quite that's quite a big difference to how we've you know lived and worked up until now, and to, to literally you know flip the switch and and work like that forever, um, I, I think would eventually you know break a few people, um, you know because you know kids are back to school hopefully for you know for for normal now, um, you know people are starting to transition back to the office maybe one or two days a week you know they're starting to travel a little bit more perhaps more in the car rather than public transport but but they are traveling a bit more so um i think the realization of you know roles that do rely on personal interaction or physical interaction you know in an office for four five six hours a day to have the spontaneity of ideas conversations you know outputs rather than that kind of regimented diarized zoom calls and you know it's quite um sort of it's it's not real to me you know it's it's quite sort of um fabricated so yeah again it's a bit old-fashioned but you know i i know that when you're in a room and you just have that odd conversation or you have a a quick sandwich with someone and you, you chew the fat for 10 minutes 
things happen. So I think outputs will change if we were to all work remotely forevermore. Um, and that might take a generation to kind of, you know, come to fruition and become as productive as, as, it, as we all want it to be. Yep. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Most definitely. Where you've covered sort of where and how do you work best, can you also let us know what tools do you use that makes your work life easier? Yes, yeah, so there's, there's, I suppose, two, um, there's two elements to this. Well, one is, you know, the, the, the sort of, I suppose, business infrastructure that I have. And, and, and I'll be honest, it, it does rely heavily on synced Apple products, mostly. Um, but what, what I have done is this week, I've, I've got myself a new bit of kit. And I've committed to trying to um, do a lot of the things that I do, perhaps on pen and paper, on more digitized apps. Um, and kind of embrace the fact that there is, you know, technology out there that can, um, you know, help me to communicate better, help me to keep in touch with people better, um, help me to kind of articulate ideas, you know, digitally rather than manually. Um, so I think, you know, it, it's time I, be, I got a bit nerdier um, with, with what I do. Um, and then the other side is obviously there's lots of technology that I you know, help clients to implement or to um, introduce into their businesses. And again, you know, some of those I wholeheartedly recommend um, on a regular basis, you know, whether it's an ATS, whether it's a market mapping tool, um, you know, whether it's a, a HR system. So again, you know, there are some that I come across uh, on a reasonably regular basis that, as I say, you know, I'll, I'll hope hope happily sorry um you know be a brand ambassador for and you know um once you've put them into clients two or three times um you know it's not to say that when you make that recommendation the next time you still offer clients comparators um or alternatives but you just say look this one i know inside out whereas these i i know superficially at face value but they are a compare and contrast exercise um and you know separately i'm happy to run through those you know specific products if people are interested yep completely agree on as soon as when you said the magic word the apple word well you know i love my apple devices as we sit here doing this interview i've got three separate different ipads as well as the macbook yeah. that i work from to see what's coming in and you just learn to live with that and i don't think my business might fall down and i know that's yeah. bad because maybe I haven't got that data recovery bit because it's all Apple. But yep. like you said, you can sync. You can just log in with your Apple ID to any new device and it will bring in all that stuff. And if you've got your contacts and everything there, it all syncs and comes together. So when yep. I talk to clients and they say about Windows, I'm a bit of a dinosaur there now because for so many years, I've worked with Apple and it's remembering the difference. I know when I first saw Windows 10, my God, I had to go do research. And I thought, no, that's not me. I'm techie. I know how to do this. And it was so different to what I was used to working with. That was a massive learning curve. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But I'm now going to, this is where we delve deep and get to know a bit more about ITAN, you see. Now, what would you have done differently in your life if you'd known then what you know now? Yeah, so um, the, the, the point of my life that I'd probably go back to, so dur during my gap year, um, I was fortunate enough to get um, uh, a work placement with um, a sister company of Saatchi and Saatchi Design House um, called, well, at the time they were called Sector Light Design. 
So um, I think I spent about three or six months with them in London, um, just behind Tottenham Court Road. And I, I was effectively, you know, a runner in-house, you know, doing all the odd jobs that they just wanted me to do. Um, but what it did is it gave me, you know, direct access to the um, chief designer and another designer, you know, exclusively on their projects. And I was just helping them to do all sorts of stuff. Uh, some of it creative and, and some of it administrative, but, you know, it was great exposure. I think they had a, um, a project with Christian Dior at the time, which was great. Um, they were doing something, I think, for um, the Australian government, I think, as well. Um, so, yeah, that was really, really good exposure. You know, it took me into London every day. And it reaffirmed to me that at that time I, I wanted to become a graphic designer and, you know, going off to do a degree was the right thing. The, the learning point of that experience was... I went off to uni, I did a degree, um, came back, and what I should have done is just stayed in London as a runner, and in those four years, I'd have probably been further ahead than, you know, someone who was a graduate but had no, you know, real work experience. So uh, it's not to say that I wouldn't do the social element of university again, but from an academic perspective, um, that was my kind of lesson learned to say, you know, if you genuinely wanted to be a graphic designer, you know, don't worry about a degree, get yourself into a design house, run around for a couple of years, and then, you know, you're going to get proper work experience in a creative environment. So yeah, that was my, uh, that was my lesson learned to do something differently. Yeah, well, I could, I could completely attest to that. My degree I did as a mature student, did my, set my first company up, did my degree full time, and did my divorce all at the same time. So I was a single mum doing my degree and I did it in English. Yet, yes, it means I can write, I can write well, I'm publishing quality written work, but that doesn't equate to the digital stuff that I do. And again, the recruitment side you and I have done, when we start, when we've done campaigns for apprenticeships, because there, there's a whole generation that lost that apprenticeship idea, it was all pushed that you go to uni. You learn that way. And then we lost people that could actually do the job. Whereas from a university perspective, you learn the strategy behind it. You learn the thinking, but yeah. you can't physically implement what needs to be done. You can, you can suggest how you would go about it. But from the apprenticeship side, like you say, stay in learning from others that have already done that work. That, that whole process has been lost for a whole generation, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. agreed. Agreed. See, this is where, see, I get on my high horse about certain things, but that, <laughs> that's just something. It's so good to see the apprenticeship programmes coming back in again. And it goes out to anyone listening to this that might be of a certain age and you're thinking, where am I going next? Do what you love. And like you say, work in an environment and learn from that. All my digital knowledge is self-taught. And yes, it's of a very high calibre, but I didn't go to university to learn yeah. that. It's, yeah. it, you learn from the best, you learn from mentors. If you're at a stage, I'd say, yes, grab a mentor, maybe reach out to or myself and say, who do you know? How can you help me in the future? Because I'm sure we could set you up. Or companies, if you want us to go in and speak to people and say, this is what we can do, I'm, I'm here, I'm probably speaking for both of us, but I hope you agree. Yes, we're here. We're come and speak to people if they need it. Because Absolutely. Definitely. definitely. 
right? So we will put the links in the description, as I said before, ways that you can connect with ITAN. Right, I'm now going to ask you, what is your biggest challenge and why? Yeah, um, so I, I guess um, I, I briefly touched upon this um, point earlier, actually, um, inadvertently. But yeah, one of my biggest challenges at the moment is convincing companies that they don't necessarily need to spend their money on the big four or the top 10 consultancies to get the same or indeed even better information, services and solutions from smaller and independent consultancies who actually have you know, practical specialists and not necessarily textbook um, graduates, um, no, no, no disservice to, to the grads. I mean, I, I've worked with, you know, most of the big four um, who, you know, land, you know, some great graduates on partner programs um, that are in, incredibly intelligent, articulate. Um, the, the one slight, I suppose, downfall is, you know, once they get to a point where the textbook can't answer the question, you've got a couple of options. One, they have to go off and figure it out, and that might take a week or two. Or they then have to you know, call in a team leader who you know, is even more expensive on a day rate than, than the, the original consultant. So um, that, that, that's my sort of challenge. And, and I'll, actually, I'll, I'll be sort of positive to say that in the last sort of couple of years, um, that conversation with, with clients and, and potential clients has actually become one, a bit easier, um, and two, um, a bit bit more sort of encouraging that they will engage, you know, our services and not necessarily a, a big four. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, pick me instead of EY or Deloitte because, you know, we, we do completely different things. Um, but it's it's that situation where don't, don't let the problem compound so much over the course of two or three years that you do have to bring, you know, one of the giants in. Um, you know, I, I call it proactive prevention rather than reactive resolution. Yeah. Um, so because I am a small consultancy, if you bring me in early at the proactive stage, my, my relative size will be able to deal with and help you. If you bring me in at the back end when it's a monster problem, then yes, I have to admit I don't have the resources or the capacity to help you. Um, and that's when they have a dependency on the big four or the top 10 because they have armies and armies of, of people and resources. So, yeah, I, I guess um, it, it's not my biggest challenge anymore, um, but, but it certainly has been in the past. Um, but, you know, more, more and more companies are realising the, the benefits of, of using, as you say, SMEs um, and, um, you know, whether that is a subject matter expert or a small medium enterprise. So um, it, applicable in both senses. And I completely, completely agree. And you just happen to touch on one of my things when I get on my soapbox. I'm, I'm terrible with this because it is. And like you say, yes, the big consultancies, they're big for a reason. They have a fantastic way that they can interact, that they can deliver. But again, I go back to that conversation we had earlier in this interview where you go for an agency and you speak to a director level that is actually winning the contract, then the yeah. people you work with maybe don't have quite as much information. And like you and I, yes, we've worked with the big consultancies when we go into the large corporations. Yeah. And sometimes, yes, textbook, when they're looking at doing a whole transformation process and 
they're looking at a target operating model that's textbook but then you take it out of the textbook and you actually put people and an already established operations team and delivery team sometimes they cannot connect the dots that's where you and I come in and help and almost do the dialogue between client and consultancy agency and we we blend the two together because there is that and yes everyone starts on their journey in one way and it's a massive massive learning curve and it's great for your career if you can land straight from uni as a graduate into those large consultancies you're probably set for life because then you can move forward but you know as i say their their development programs their training programs you know that they are amazing you know they're structured they're slick you know they're corporate um they have longevity and yes you know if if that's the kind of path you want to commit to for you know 10 or 15 years you know you can be an associate partner or partner you know late 30s early 40s no no problem at all um it's just you know you you sell your soul a little bit to do that because it's it's a long-winded program um but yeah i think you know what i've seen with lots of organizations is that they they sometimes probably have an element of assurance level um by engaging you know said consultancies um paying the premium for it but they they feel um perhaps you know more assured as i say that what what's going to be delivered you know safeguards them from risk um you know we we fear what we don't understand or we don't know and you know independents are perhaps not as well known as a brand so you know they're afraid to engage us as opposed to engaging the, the big ones so yeah i i totally get that um but you know we 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 weave our way into opportunities in different ways definitely and I, again i'm going to put a cry out and literally say to anyone listening to this mix it up a bit try yeah. Try the consultancies and try the likes of Iten and myself and bring us in and see what value we add. You just have to look at the testimonials we both have on the likes of LinkedIn that are corporate clients and customers that have actually written about the work we've done as an individual. And they can actually say, yes, that person delivers on this, this and this, and I can prove it. Give us a go because yeah. we can deliver probably save your budget for what you'd pay the big five for one year you could have us for five years and we deliver the whole process and like Iten says we come in at the beginning so you don't need the massive teams to put something right because we stop you going off the rails as it were on your journey transformation is always a journey but if you take us on from the beginning we can help your transformation run smoothly and then you don't need to call in the larger teams so i will get off of my high horse now <laughs> now this next question i have been told but it's quite egocentric now i must admit i didn't think that it was anything to do with the ego when i wrote it but here we go item how do you want to be remembered yeah, um, so I suppose it's a slightly soppy uh, an answer to this, but you know, I'd like to be remembered as a good father first and foremost, um, but hopefully also a guy who you know we you know made a few mistakes along the way, but ultimately always operated with transparency and integrity. You know, going back to the the values we spoke about earlier. So yeah, um, I, I don't 
I don't think I'll be remembered for one thing. You know, I'm, I'm certainly not, you know, an influencer or a celebrity or, you know, someone that's created a product that's revolutionized the industry or changed people's lives. So, you know, I won't make an impact in that way. Um, but hopefully, you know, remembered by the, the people that matter for, for what I've, for what I've just mentioned. Yep. And definitely. Well, I know um, anyone that sees any of your posts on LinkedIn, the, the posts with your son are absolutely <laughs> fantastic. They are brilliant. I'm always riveted when you start um, a Lego project. I love that because then I can see how it's growing and where you work together and you sort all that. It is just brilliant. And I say to any of the listeners, if you haven't caught any of that, make sure you follow Aitan on LinkedIn because his posts get more engagement than anyone else in my network. It's, it's authentic. It's true to life, and I think we can all resonate with it in so many different ways. He, he's um, so I, I refer to him as my chief marketing officer for, for exactly that reason because you know I, I know if I put a post on about anything and he's in there, um, it probably multiplies the engagement by you know three to five at least. Um, and you know, I, I do try to make it um, a bit of fun sometimes, um, and I, I will try and make the posts pertinent to work, but with a twist rather than just, you know, the, the posts of mine that get the least engagement are the, are the most professional ones. The ones where I, you know, put a bit of, you know, my own life into it or, you know, bring Oz into the picture, all of a sudden, you know, out goes the principles of Facebook, of LinkedIn, and it becomes, you know, Facebook. But people seem to like it, so long, long may it continue. He, he's my little uh, secret source for, for marketing. And those posts are brilliant. And like I say, I go back to how you want to be remembered. Exactly. You're already on track for that because you do epitomise everything you mentioned there. You really do. Thank you. Right. Now to go back to your childhood as a child what did you want to be and how close to that dream are you now yeah so um there, there wasn't one single job I guess you know through my kind of early um childhood and formative years um I've always had a love of cars um I think that 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 still is the case now and um, but I did you know I did want to be a mechanic I was intrigued by the sort of the engines and the engineering of of, um, of the vehicles. Um, then, you know, it gets sort of drummed into you as a kid, you know, you, you need to do something successful. And, you know, I was always interested in in law and, you know, debating and arguing with people. So I, that I, I quickly came away from that when I realised it was seven years to, to become a lawyer. Um, and then, you know, I, I was interested in graphic design and, and marketing. Um, my father's an architect, so um, I, I grew up in a house full of technical drawings and plans everywhere. Um, but I was always interested in kind of logo design and, and branding, which I think, again, um, although it hasn't become a career, um, they're elements of my current role that I, you know, really enjoy. And when someone says, you know, let's come up with a website design or a landing page or a careers page you know I'm, I'm all over that with the teams creative you know internally and externally um but yeah when i when i graduated the, the graphic design thing never really sort of took off um and then you know the, the cliche of falling into recruitment came along a, a year or two later now anyone that listens to my podcast will know I have a favorite word and it begins with s and it's synchronicities and listening to what you're saying 
the synchronicities between yours and my careers and what we wanted to do I wanted to do law as a child I they used to say what do you want to do and I'd say I'm going to be prime minister I'm going to do a law degree be a barrister and be prime minister because I'm of an age where we had a female female prime minister who had followed that sort of thing and I thought that's the way a woman leader that's what I need to do but saying that where you looked at law and again I looked at how long it took and then I looked at networks even then how who do you know in law that will help you actually buy into a practice and is synchronicities and the whole idea of debating and everything I can see why we get on so well just learning about that lots of similarities there and and I I think you know I, I think those kind of um subconscious desires of my childhood to be a lawyer or to be a designer or a mechanic as I say you know they they have continued through my life in terms of you know I'm not a qualified lawyer but I I often do lots of work with procurement teams you know supplier frameworks um, you know legal teams uh, legal councils looking at contracts so you know there's there's still a, a, a personal and professional interest and appetite for those things as I say, the, the mechanic, you know, the mechanical stuff, um, I don't think it's any coincidence. I, I, I did a lot of construction and engineering in my early days. Um, and then a passion for cars, you know, continues now. Um, and then, you know, the, the creative stuff, uh, as I mentioned, you know, comes into a lot of the, the advertising campaigns and recruitment campaigns that we undertake. So, yeah, I, I perhaps didn't realise the, the childhood dreams in a role or a career um, but they're certainly part of, of of my career to date in a completely different industry. And it does, it, and like you say, it does impact in what you're doing going forward. Mm. Now you've mentioned cars. Anyone that knows my career path, I've worked with Jaguar Land Rover. I worked with them when um, Land Rover brought out the Evoke, so I helped with the marketing of that and pulling it together. And then... This is where hindsight, and as you're very new and learning, I then worked for an agency that worked with Mercedes and Lamborghini, and I helped them with their social media. But at the time, I didn't know how to send an invoice, so I did it all for free. So we don't share that very often, but I've just shared it to millions now because they can listen to it. But in saying that, I know there are set um, automotive companies that you would love to work with. So I'm going to say now... Give a massive shout out because anyone listening that knows and can introduce ITAN to the right people, this is your chance because he knows what he's doing. He knows how to deliver and I know he would help them. So go. I know this this automotive companies. So if if I could work with a car manufacturer for Oz, it would absolutely be McLaren. Um, and and we've we've had some engagement recently, but um, yeah, uh, any more would be wonderful. Um, I think from a, a brand perspective, Ferrari, you know, is at the pinnacle of of what they do. Um, and from a personal consumer perspective, you know, I, I do own a Porsche, which I'm very proud of. Um, and I, again, I'd love to work for the employer brand as as much as the consumer brand so yeah um mclaren ferrari and porsche if you're listening um give me a shout um bugatti or lamborghini i I wouldn't say no to you guys either (laughs) so thank you for that and i say to all the listeners please this is a big shout out let's show what social media and networking can do if you know someone in your network 
that we can introduce ITAM to. Let's make this happen because I know he can deliver in so many ways and help. And wouldn't that make a great story to have you back and tell you the story for that? Now, that, that would be wonderful. <laughs> now, and also, you know, I will always add ways that you can reach out and connect with ITAN in the description. So if you're thinking, oh, but I know someone, how do I introduce them? All those ways that you can connect will be in the description. So make sure, let's make this happen. I'm now moving. This is the one bit where I'm quite selfish in this podcast because it's a thing that I, I love. And I know from some of the posts I've followed for you, I think it's something you could add so much value to. Can you name three titles of your favourite books and why you've chosen them, please? Yeah, sure. Um, I've only got two, unfortunately. I, I was stewing on the third one and I, I've forgotten to write it down. But, but the two that I have got... Um, Black Box Thinking um, is a book that I've read um, earlier this year, um, actually before um, lockdown hit us, but, but it, it really sort of resonated with me after, afterwards as well. Um, I just think as a book um, and as a concept, it's so relevant to how we can continually learn in life um, and in work. Um, and I, I've written a, a post recently about black box thinking in, in recruitment um, to kind of tie those two together. Um, the other book is um, written by a reasonably controversial character. I mean, per personally, I think he's brilliant. Um, he's one of the smartest and most articulate thinkers I've come across in recent years. Um, I think his um, YouTube um, uh, videos do him a bit more justice, but his book, 12 Rules of Life, um, by uh, Dr. Peterson. Um, you know, anyone that engages this guy for an argument is is in for a torrid time because you know, right, rightly or wrongly, in terms of what he believes, he 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 brings objectivity and um, comprehensive thinking to discussions in a way not many people do. So, as I say, forget what his views might be personally. It's the way he argues a point that that kind of I, I find um, really really sort of interesting and. Um, I suppose, you know, well, inspiring to a degree. Like his level of intelligence is is out of this world. Um, I did read a book recently by um, Stephen Hawkins, which I forget the title of, but again, you know, the the, the content is very heavy, um, but the subject in terms of, you know, the meaning of life and, you know, what's out there, et cetera, was written in such a way that, you know, if, if he was still thinking about those things without the answers, then, you know, we've, we've, we've all got sort of um, half a chance of, of coming up with what the answers might be. So, yeah, they're, they're my three books that, that spring to mind. That's absolutely brilliant. So they're going to go on my list so that I can add them and my list gets longer and longer. And like you say, where so much today where we see this whole idea of fake news and everything, we are the media goes down a certain leaning and to actually have the refreshing option to see an overview from different sides of a debate. I think a lot of people are lacking that, that they, that I know um, when I was at uni, they spoke about Foucault, um, one of the French philosophers. And he said that history now is made up of the media. We don't know if we've even ever seen a true um, dissemination of what happened because it's seen through the eye of the media 
and yeah, that, that's almost that. is almost tainted in a way uh, to see in a certain way so to see that definitely going to look on youtube and see and look at that so that's that's another thing that'll be my bedtime listening which means i won't get any sleep because i'll get into it but it, it, yeah, it's no, a no, great... he's, got some, he's got some great interviews and, and they're usually you know sort of six to ten minute snippets and there are longer ones but yeah you, you can get the gist from from the shorter ones as well and that's something i'd say to anyone listening make sure when you're looking at a subject look at that in a 360 view get everyone's opinions we can see even from this covid thing where they've said where they i can remember the pictures they showed of people supposedly two meters aside but because of the way where the photographer stood it looked like they were exactly just right next to each other but if you said from a different viewpoint you could see they were actually adhering to what was needed and keeping the two meter thing but that's two perspectives looking at the same thing and you can take two different answers from it. So it is 360, learn everything there is before you make the judgment, because if you take just one input, you only see one side. Definitely, definitely. Now, this one, this almost towards our last question, we've got a few more to go. Who would you say are your key influencers and why? Yeah, so um, I was having a conversation with a friend at the weekend about influencers, and um, it's a bit of a bugbear of mine because typically it, it draws people to somebody famous or somebody obvious um, to to be an influencer. So um, I'm I'm not necessarily a big fan of of the term, um, and 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 to me, very few are genuinely influencers. Um, I, I just respect people that have a purpose, um, good values and relevance to what they do um, and people with sustained incredible success. Um, now, you know, there's lots of obvious names out there from, you know, huge companies that, you know, we all know and love. Um, so it's not necessarily that I admire them as an, as an influencer, but these are the people that have genuinely been influential in business or in people's lives for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, rather than someone that pops up, pays for marketing, has a brand or a product like hanging off them, and that's deemed as an influencer. That, that to me is not you know, influential. That's just, that's just marketing, and it's done well. Um, so yeah, I, I prefer people that have, you know, ridden the roller coaster for a period of time, long or short, um, and genuinely sort of imparted some sort of wisdom or influence onto, onto people. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have, have one person, but there are people out there that I'll certainly follow and, and listen to. I love that answer. And actually that reflects most of the really good guests I've had on the podcast have given a similar answer. The ones that come out with those key names that we all know and love don't necessarily go into as much depth as those that will fight back and push back and say, actually, I'm not going to give you a name. I'm going to say that certain thing, attributes from lots of different people become attributes that I'm influenced by as opposed to a person, which I think shows far greater understanding. So with that, I say a massive thank you for that because it is that's the sort of answers I like and it's what the audience like as well good good right this is now my longest question I have to do a great big deep breath for this because (laughs) I thought I'm I'm sure there's going to be an easier way to word it but here goes if you could share a great meal with anyone alive or dead what would the meal be and who would it be with 
Yeah, so um, I think I, I think I went for about three people in the end, um, and and two of them actually um, link to a question that you asked a few minutes ago. Um, so Enzo Ferrari and and Ferdinand Porsche, I'd, I'd love to meet because obviously they were the the founders of of two brands that we've just spoken about that that I love uh, since childhood. Um, and then I'd also be intrigued to meet uh, Leonardo da Vinci. Um, I, I did um, part of my dissertation was on 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 Leonardo, um, not only because of the work that he did, but I think as a mind um, in terms of when he lived and the way that he thought and vision visualized things is is incredible. So I'd, I'd love to meet him uh, if if that was possible. Um, and nice and simple, a, a nice steak would be would be my meal of choice. Oh, this this I love, and this is this again. It's almost like a selfish bit when I throw that in because can you imagine the conversations? Because some of these answers could make a complete and utter separate podcast on its own. Yeah. Just the ideas you talk about, what you could learn, and the mm. meals, and it's like some people will say like. They don't want it to be just one meal. They want it to last for days because they want to ask so many different questions. And it is yeah. it's just, it's having a meal that you love with the people you want to learn from. And that's, that's just wonderment and joy. And you know that it's something you'll always remember. And it is, it's just, I know it's, I know buts and maybes, but it's wonderful. Really, really like that. So yeah, yeah. we, we are, Almost at the end of this interview, we've got two last questions, but I'm going to throw them together because I think they do actually fit together. What services or items do you offer to your clients or customers? And do you have any special offers at present, Ita? Yeah. Um, so I, I guess um, I guess what I do in terms of you know specialising in the, the world of recruitment and talent acquisition breaks down into sort of four, I suppose, services. Uh, consultation so you know that can be relatively ad hoc uh, retained advice so maybe for a period of three to six months um, project management and then more traditional kind of interim coverage uh, you know three four five days a week for a given period of time um, typically in three key areas uh, so strategy on operating models um, supply chain frameworks and technology implementation so they're the three main areas um, and then in terms of any offers at the moment, so um, obviously with COVID, um, you know, committing to a reasonably expensive resource, you know, for a period of time is, is perhaps not a priority at the moment. Um, but I've created a starter pack um, that includes, um, I think it's about five or six topics um, that we've pretty much covered most of today, um, you know, hiring manager and interview assessment training, recruitment best practice how to create a strategy and operating model, uh, pros and cons of those models. And there's a, a white paper in there as well. Um, so that starter pack also comes with four hours of consultation, um, which is valid for six months. So hopefully during the kind of quieter, leaner times, it can be a reference document, but then those four hours can maybe help with some planning. Um, and that kind of collective pack at the moment is £750 plus VAT um, and is available digitally or I can send it out on a um, a small USB drive as well. That's absolutely fantastic. And like I said to the audience when we first started this, I've worked with ITAM personally. He delivers. What he does is fantastic. You get results. Large and small companies are like, get fantastic results 
all of these ways that you can connect will be put in the description and it just leads me to say a massive massive thank you for being no, my, my pleasure thank you for the invite it's been a, a real real pleasure thoroughly enjoyed it i will ask one last question that i asked it's been such a great interview would you come back as a guest for the future and we can cover different topics and everything because i know uh, absolutely yeah um I'm, I'm more than happy to to come back again um and you know the, the questions that you presented for today were brilliant um i think they were a, a really good blend between you know some personal insights some professional insight um and just you know some topics that you you wouldn't necessarily think to to discuss so no really good stuff and i'd, I'd be more than happy to come back that's absolutely brilliant so i just say a massive thank you thank you for being a guest today have a good one Thank you for listening to the Pearls of Wisdom podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the content shared. Please share with others who would like to enjoy these interviews and discussions. If you would like to support the podcast, please follow the link in the episode description. If you want to be a guest on the show, reach out and let's discuss next steps. Until the next time, enjoy your listening.